Anyway, flip your bulletins uh, back over, and we are in uh, a week number two of a sermon series. If you've never been here, you can follow along right here on the front with me. But a sermon series we're calling The Christmas, the Christmas Party. Last week I told you in week number one that Jesus builds his church with the wrong people. We're the wrong people for this church. Jesus, he, he invites the uninvited. He builds his church around people that have no business being in church. That's the message of the gospel. He builds, builds a perfect church with imperfect people. That, that's, a, that's a promise that he, he has for us. Today, the title of my message is, is very uh, religious and, and mature. It's don't poop on Jesus' party. Everybody say don't poop on Jesus' party. Come on, say it like you mean it. Don't poop. On Jesus' party. We're a very mature church. Don't poop on Jesus' party. I told you last week, I said, I would argue that the words Jesus and party, they're not antonyms, they're synonyms. They go, they go hand in hand. In fact, Jesus was accused of partying in the Bible a bunch of times. He also talked pretty consistently about, about a party. He, he, he addressed uh, parties in parables and, and in stories. He was obsessed with throwing a good party, but his parties were different. You see, the world, they party to, to forget. They, they, they have parties where they, they, they get drunk and they get hung over and they do things. They're just trying to forget kind of life. But Jesus, his party is to remember. He, he, he invites us to a party that changes everything. He invites us to a party that will impact not only today but forever. So I think party is a great word when it comes to, to Jesus. And so today I want to talk to you about, about protecting the, the perfection of this party. Protecting the perfection of this party. Don't poop. Don't get in the way. Don't make light of, of, Jesus, of Jesus' party. You'll notice that I'm wearing a, a Dallas Cowboys sweater. No, I don't like the Cowboys. Uh, today... Today is ugly sweater, ugly sweater day. I don't know if you've noticed that. And so I thought there was no uglier sweater in the world than a Dallas Cowboys sweater. In fact, not only am I going to wear this, but I'm going to re-gift this to my brother because he actually likes the Dallas Cowboys. I'm going to give it to him as a gift for Christmas, right? There's no uglier sweater than a Dallas. So you'll see there's people, you know, John had a sweater vest on on the thing. And so only he would wear a sweater vest with short sleeves in the middle of December. So anyway, he made it look good, right? And so anyway... So we have these ugly sweaters on, and I, I did a little bit of studying. Wow, what's the point of ugly sweaters? And ugly sweaters uh, parties were started by non-religious people that wanted to celebrate Christmas without celebrating Jesus. It was like a way for them to like embrace Christmas without having to be too Jesus-y. So they have all these parties, they play Christmas carols where it talks about like rocking around the Christmas tree and all that stuff and they, they wear Christmas things and they have a party. But I thought to myself, man, you don't get to steal the ugly sweaters back from Jesus because to me, there's nothing better that represents the party he invites people to. You see, we went to, to Goodwill. My wife found a little, little real uh, ugly sweater from I'm, I'm imagining Jean or May or Pearl that, that they bought this some years ago in, in Kmart or Sears. They walked in and they thought to themselves, this is beautiful. I need this for Christmas. And it ended up where every piece of garbage that we waste our money on ends up at Goodwill. And so she went in and she bought this sweater, which was trash, that she was turning into treasure. That's essentially the message of the, the ugly sweater Christmas party. It's trash that now is treasure in our culture. And I thought to myself, you don't get to steal that because that's the message of the gospel. We, we are trash that becomes treasure in God's hands. And we embrace our ugliness here at this church. We, we don't hide it. We don't run from it. We, we embrace it. And Jesus is serious about us being about that. He is serious about us proclaiming the message that he turns trash 
into treasure. I don't know if you have a, have a spouse or a family member that's really serious about, about hospitality and throwing parties. My wife is. Like, like I never understood this before I got married. Not only, not only is it important to have good food when you have people over and guests over and have enough food, right? Because I don't know if you've ever been to somebody's house where there wasn't enough food. That's always awkward. And so, uh, but enough food. But there's also the point where it needs to smell good in your house and, and, and there needs to be special napkins. I don't know if you have a wife like that. Like there's special napkins that are out and, 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 and there needs to be like, the, like the, the setup of it needs to be in different heights and look right. And like it just needs to feel like you want them there. When they come to your door, if they're not like people you know, you shouldn't meet. I didn't know this. You shouldn't just yell down, come in. Like you should go meet them at the door because that's super awkward. They've never been to your house. Like there's people that come over now that I'm like, whatever. They've been here a million times. It's fine. But I'm talking people that never came over. Like she's a serious business about making sure people know. And so I asked her one time, I said, what's the big deal? Why do we got to clean the toilets? Why do we got to put napkins out? Why do we got to put the food right way? Why do we got to do all this? Why can't we just put the food out on the table? Everybody, why, why does it have to be color-coded? Why, does, why do you got to put special napkins in the chip bowl? Why can't we just dump the chips in the bowl? Why does it have to have a napkin underneath the chips in the chip bowl? Like why do you got to do all that? Everybody else got a spouse like that? You're like, what's wrong with you? And she informed me early on in our marriage that the presentation that we displayed was a great indicator to them that we valued them being there. I don't know if you've ever been to somebody's house where they just didn't have enough food and it, like, it was super awkward, you showed up, and it was almost as if you shouldn't have been there even though you were invited to be there. You ever been, you're like, I don't know, I'm not, and I'm, listen, some of you are like, I, I've invited pastors, I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about other people that have done this to me. Like there's, We've been to other people's houses where you walk in and they're, they're like, come in, but you've never been there before, and it's like super awkward, you get there and it's like, hi, how you doing? Yeah, it's good to have you. You're like, wait, wait, wait. You invited me. I don't want to be here. I didn't ask to be here on a Friday night. I'd rather be doing a million other things than sitting at your house. Like, I don't know who you think you are. I'm a pastor, but I'll kill you, right? <laughs> With my words, right? That's a... So you just feel like you're not supposed to be there. Because it's, it's, listen, it's the amount of work that you put in that leaves the impression to that person that you want them there. I found this to be true of, of Jesus. If, if we're the church and we're throwing a Jesus party where we're inviting people that feel like trash into a party where you become treasure to God, then how good of an impression are we living on, leaving on people and representing how God feels about them to them? There's a story in the Bible I want to take you to, and we're going to try something new today because I know a lot of you, you, you don't have Bibles, and maybe you can't see, maybe you don't have the U version on your, on your Bible plan, so we're going to put it on the screen. But we're going to take you to Matthew chapter 21. Uh, verse number, number 12. And I want you to read this story with me just so you understand. Jesus has just arrived in Jerusalem. This is his last week of his life. He's come for the Passover feast. You'll know if you, you're a Christian that he's going to have a meal with his disciples. He's going to do the communion. He's going to explain to them. He's going to die. He's going to go to the tomb. He's going to do all stuff like it's going to get really bad and then it's going to get really good. But before it gets really bad and really good, Jesus starts to do what Jesus starts to do. He starts to crash the party. Like he starts to say, you know what, you're not doing a really good job with, with your impression you're leaving on other people for, for how I want them and how I view them. So that's what this story is about. In Matthew chapter 21, verse number 12, the Bible says that Jesus entered the temple courts and drove, all, drove out all who were buying and selling there. So, so I want you to understand, just keep that slide up a second, the temple courts were, were, were the church. It was, it was where you went to worship God. I know there's people in our day and age that say stuff like this. They say stuff like, I can be a Christian, but I don't have to go to church. I can pray, but I don't have to go to church. I can be this, but I don't have to go to God. God doesn't dwell in a house. And partially they're right, but I would always argue and say, I never met a good Christian that wasn't also a faithful follower and committed to a, house of lo a local house of God. I just haven't. That doesn't happen. 
There, there's, there's a church everywhere. So for you to say, I'm not going to church, but I'm going to stay home and do my thing on Sunday, but I'm still close to Jesus, that's like you saying, I love the groom, but I hate the bride. Like, I'll kick you the bride right in the face. I'll throw paint on the bride. It never goes well. So you have people that do that all the time. So there, there's always a, a level of being committed. So at this day and age, the temple represented the presence of God. That's where they thought he was. And so people never said, hey, I'm close to God, but I never go to the temple. In fact, all the people that were traveling into Jerusalem were traveling to get to the temple. They were getting to the presence of God. So Jesus arrives at the temple, the, the Mecca Center, the epic of religious activity, the most important building when it comes to the presence of God. And this is what the Bible says. He enters the courts and he drives out all who were buying and selling there. He overturns the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. Verse 13 says, it is written, he said to them, my house should be a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame, verse 14 says, came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were, they were indignant. They were mad. The church people were mad. They were angry. They were ticked off. You're messing up our, our, our gig here. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus, have you never read from the lips of children and infants? You, Lord, have called forth your praise. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. I want you to understand what's going on here. Uh, because uh, for, for years, I, I just assumed Jesus was mad because they were selling stuff in the temple. But this was from, 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 from what I learned and not because I studied it. But there was a young, there's a young lady at Plymouth Meeting. I'm stealing this from her. her. name is Charity. She goes to Valley Forward. She preached this sermon. She sent us this little blurb. And I was like, I'm going to steal that. And so... Uh, for years, I thought Jesus is mad because they're selling stuff at the temple. But, but what she said to me is she said that was common at that time. What they did is, is these merchants would sell chickens and goats and lambs, stuff like that. And people would take these animals, and, I, and this is, Peter's going to get really mad at this, and they would sacrifice these animals as an atonement for their sin. So they would, take, they would take these animals. So that's why the Bible calls Jesus the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He says it's finished. No more sacrificing cats and stuff like that. Maybe we should do that, but no more doing that. We're not going to do that more. Jesus paid the price. Like, like Jesus, he paid the price for our sins. And so we don't go to the temple anymore and we have to make sacrifice. Jesus already did that. But at that time, that's what he did. So all these people came in and they would come to these merchants and they would say, hey, I, I was really naughty this year, you know. I messed up a lot. I need a goat. I need a really good goat. Pay the money, take the goat, and the priest would come. He would slit the goat's neck, put it on the, the altar. The blood would run out. The blood was a sign that, you were, that, he, that this animal was paying for your sins. It was a sign of what was coming, which was Jesus. So these people would do this. So this was common. This was common practice. And also in the temple, there was, there was four courts. You had a, a court of the Gentiles, which were anybody that wasn't a Jew. That's where they were allowed to go. That was as close as they were allowed to get to, to the presence of God. So if you weren't a Jew, you were kind of on the outside. And then you're going to love this if you're a female. There was a court for women. So, so the, 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 the Jewish men, they looked down on two people, the women and, and the Gentiles. So the Gentiles were last, the women were next. I know that doesn't go well with many of you. And then the, the next court was the, was the men, and the, the final court was the priest, and then it was the presence of God. So the, the closer you got in the courts, the closer you were to the presence of God. And what she told me is she said there were so many people at this celebration, this Passover, that these merchants had moved all the way out into the court of the Gentiles. Now listen, the Gentiles are not there to celebrate the Passover. They're just there to try to get close to the presence of God. They're there because they want to get the impression from the, from the people that you're, you're welcome here. And so they're, they're trying to get close to God. And so this, this, this religious festival kind of pushed them out all the way into the court of the Gentiles. And now they're selling stuff and Jewish people are coming. And as the Jewish people come, guess what happens to the Gentiles? They're far away from the presence of God. They can't even get in. So Jesus shows up and he's like, 
the very people that, that need to be getting close to the presence of God that I want to leave the impression on that I want, you're pushing them out because of your religion. You're pushing them out because of your culture. You're pushing them out because of your celebration. Kind of sounds like Christmas to me. The very reason I came, the very reason I was born 2,000 years ago in a manger, we're going to talk about that. The dirtiest place he could be born is to let people know that God wasn't far, that he was with you. And then you have kind of these courts that are happening, the court of the Christmas tree, and, and, and the court of presents, and the court of going to Christmas village, and the court of Christmas Eve where Santa has to come and our kids have to get to bed, and all these other courts that are happening. And by the time that the Christmas message even gets to the people, there's so much other garbage that the church has gotten involved in. People that are supposed to be close to Jesus can't even get close to Jesus. We're too busy. We're too busy. We're too busy to tell people about Jesus. We're too busy to let people know, we've got to cut down the perfect tree. It's going to die in three months or two months. Or I don't know. I don't have a real tree. i got a fake one. It's alive every year. It's like the resurrection of Jesus Christ. <laughs> the far of God and Jesus, the Bible says, gets so angry. He gets so angry at the, at the church. And here's why, because when the, party is, is when the party's right, three really good things happen. When the party's right, three really good things happen. Number one is this, is when the party, when the Jesus party's right, people, they don't, they don't come as outsiders surrounded by insiders. When the party's right, they don't come as outsiders surrounded by insiders. See, at, at most churches, and maybe ours included, there's so much that happens in the church that you kind of create this insider culture. You have insider dress. You have insider music. You have insider seats. You have insider talk, right? You have, you have insider dress. You have insider this so that when somebody who's far from God tries to get into the presence of God, the impression we leave them is this is an insider club and you're, you're an outsider. This is the insider club where we, we really like each other. We spend a lot of time together. We have friends. Our kids hang out. You're an outsider and you're kind of surrounded by a bunch of people that know what's going on. And here's the problem with it. It is in churches, maybe like ours even, where there's a lot of insiders, a lot of people that like each other. That's a good thing. There's a lot of people that get along. There's a lot of people that spend a lot of time together. But the longer you're in this culture, the more you forget what it feels like to be outside. I tutor a little boy named, named Keith every, every Wednesday at Project, at Project Purpose. I've been tutoring him for four years. I've been asking him to come to church for four years. Just come to church. Come to church. You should come to church. I'll show him pictures. I'll show him pictures of Ian when Ian dresses up in weird costumes. And I'll be like, you want to come? We have candy. It's right up his at, right up your house. We're going to sing. Look, look at this guy. Like, he, you want to come to this? And so, I, and so two weeks ago when I wasn't preaching, I got a message from the, from the lady that runs Project Purpose. And she said, hey, I think, I think uh, Keith's mom and him want to come to church on Sunday. And I, I said, I'm not preaching. That'd be awesome. So I called up Keith and his mom, and I said, hey, I heard you want to come to church. I'd love to have you at church. I'd love to have you in Phoenix, Well, that's where I'll be at. You know, I'll meet you at the door at 1015 or 1130, whatever service you want to come to. I'll walk you in. I'll show Keith and your daughter where to go. You know, I'll, I'll find you a seat. I'll sit beside you. You want me to sit beside you? I want you to be at church. And so in our conversation, she didn't come, by the way, but in our conversation, it sounded like she was going to come. She was like, yeah, I really need this. I need to come to church. And I was like, thank you, God. Like, what, what a setup. On the day that, that I get to sit by them in church and bring them, to, like, that, this is awesome. So they didn't come, so that the story's not, it's only half good, but, but, but like at 10, 15 minutes later, the phone rings again, and it's, it's Keith's mom, and this is what she says to me. She says, she says I'm a little worried because I don't have any church clothes. And in our church, my church, not, not, in, not in the Baptist church down the road where they got to wear suits, they give you suit jackets if you're not 
If you're not dressed in a suit. No, 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 no. My, my church, Journey Church, the cool church, the trendy church. The church for outsiders, for those not yet here. In my church, even the reputation we have, because that's the reputation the church has, because that's what we do. I can't come because I don't have any, I don't got any church clothes. I, it broke my heart and I was like, there's no such thing as church clothes. You got jeans, wear jeans. Just come dressed. That's all you got to do. That would be super awkward. Just get dressed and come to church. You're not, listen, you're not an outsider that's going to be surrounded by a bunch of weird insiders that are drinking the Kool-Aid and having snakes and talking in certain languages. No, no. At my church, I hope that you understand that as soon as you get here, you're one of us. You're one of us. This is the Jesus party. There's no such thing as outsiders and insiders. There's no such thing as good and bad people. There's no such thing as us versus them. When I went down to Texas, and I know this is going to seem like a, a story where I begin to tell you that I secretly I like to keep Dallas Cowboys. I don't. This is not going to go there. But when I went to Texas, and I went to school in Waxahachie, I got to let you know that, that truthfully I really enjoyed living near Dallas, Texas. I didn't enjoy the Cowboys. I didn't enjoy I like Philadelphia. I like the grid. I like the blue collar. I like that we're always the victims. It gets real old after a while. What I loved about Dallas, though, is Dallas is clean. It smells good. Uh, it's cheap. It's new. People are genuinely friendly, and they have good food. So I traveled 2,100 miles. I think that's what it was, 1,600 miles. I don't know. It was 21, 22, 23 hours. I don't remember. We drove. And I got to school. It was my freshman year. And when I got to school, uh, they had this, 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 this map, this chart up that showed you where all 2,000, it was a huge Bible college, 2,000 kids were coming from. And I looked at it, and in my, where I came from, there was two students, me and somebody else, came from the Northeast. All these other students came from Oklahoma and Texas and Arizona and Louisiana and Arkansas. Have you never been down there? People just different down there, right? So I instantly was an outsider amongst insiders. Like, there, there was nobody else that understood me. So the first three guys that I started hanging out with, I went in this dorm, Davis. I met these three guys. I don't remember their names. I hung out with them the first couple of weeks. But I always felt like an outsider. Like, they always, like, they'd be like, hey, say this word again. You get me? It's only fun so many times. You're like, I, I don't, what, what are you talking about? How you say creek? Crick. He says crick. Oh, he's such a honky. I'm thinking, you guys are from Texas. I'm from Philly. I tell you about I was from Boyertown. I'm from Philly, right? Like, I'm an urban. So the conversation was like that. So I, it would be like, say this. And then one of them was like, you know, you have a big nose. First time I ever found out I have a big nose on to Dallas. I, I was like, what? You have a huge nose. And then he told me, and you talk out of it. And I didn't realize that. It told me, we do. We talk out of our nose. When you talk, the words just kind of flow out. It's like a gift from God. And so I remember thinking to myself, I just feel bad about myself when I'm with these people. So I stopped hanging out with them real quick. I was like, you know, listen, I'm going to hate this. I'm going to go back. I'm going to end up at Valley Forge. I don't want to do that. So I need it because I, I want to go away and be far from, from everything I know. I want to start a new life. I want to I meet new people. But I don't like these people. So a few, few weeks after that, I was walking down the hallway. And I think God set this up. I met, I met three guys. I met a guy named Aaron Frizzell. And I know their names because they were impacting my life. I met a guy named Paul Franks who, who never went to class and almost failed and dropped out of school his first semester. He's now a doctor that teaches theology. God does miracles, right? And so I saw a picture of him. He actually talked to chapel. So Paul Franks and a kid named Mike Dyson. And then they had a bunch of girls, uh, which is always a bonus that we hung out with, that, that just ended up being super friendly. These, these, these people just took me into their life. They were from a town called Mustang, Oklahoma. That's a cool town. 
they brought me home a bunch of times. They brought me, actually, there's people from that town that ended up becoming some of my even better friends, Adam and Christy Starling, who are pastors down in Norman. And they just brought me in, and I immediately felt like family. They didn't ask me to say nothing. They didn't make fun of my nose. They didn't say I talked weird. They, didn't they just brought me into the family. They brought me home. Their parents cooked me meals. They paid for things for me when I went to their house. They just made me feel like I was one of them. I don't know if you've ever been around people like that. That's the kind of church I see. The kind of church I see for, for us is a church where you get accepted long before you get acquainted. Nobody even knows you. Where, 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 where you get in even if you don't fit in. Where it's not like, you're what? Because we're a church that's built around the early church, and the early church was so diversified. You know, people from all walks of life doing all different jobs, they came together with one purpose and one mission, that was to change this world. You get in before you fit in. And you belong, can I, can I talk to you? You belong here long before you ever even believe. You belong here long before, that's, that's, to me, that's not outsiders coming into insiders. That's, that's outsiders, us, knowing we should be outside, but embracing the message of Jesus, that, that God is not an outside God, but he came inside to our problems so that us outsiders could be inside his, his kingdom. So we were outside and far from God, but God came to us, Emmanuel, he was God with us, and that's the message that we share. No, number two is this, is people are fixated in this party on others' futures, not focused on their failures. They're fixated on others' futures, not focused on their, their failures. Can I, I don't understand Christians who aren't optimistic. No matter how many times, and I get it, because there's so many times at church where people come into this house and they, they give their life to the Lord, they have an experience at the end of a service, and you're like, dude, that person is going to change the world. And like three months later, you're like, where are they at? They don't believe in God anymore. You're like, what? What happened? So I get it when you become pessimistic. You're like, no one's getting saved here. Nobody ever gets saved here. Nobody's maturing. Everybody. But to me, like if you're going to follow Jesus, you, you by nature have to be an optimistic person. In this party, we're not fixated on people's failures going, man, I can't believe they did that. I mean, we're all focused on what could possibly be. We're focused on what could possibly be. I'm optimistic because I know how good my God is. So I would encourage you in this place, for those of you who call this your home, I believe you're a gap. And, I, and I'm not talking about the store that was cool in 1998. I'm talking about a God. I don't even figure that out. Gap's not cool anymore. They've been putting the same clothes out for the last 25 years. How many flannels can you make, right? And so anyway, I just offended somebody. I got my sweater on. Okay. You didn't even know it was ugly sweater day. You fit right in, right? <laughs> A God-appointed person, gap. We're a God-appointed person. So, you, so somebody comes into this house. We're not a church that's fixated on failures. We're focused on futures. And somebody sits near you because I think that's how God works. And you become the God-appointed person in their life. And here's what kind of stuff you start to say to that person. You start to say to them, me too. Me too. We're a me too church. You, you, you're, you're an addict. Somebody here was an addict at one point. We're a me too church. You're a single mom who, who, who's kind of fallen short and maybe giving your heart to the wrong man and you feel kind of bad about yourself, we're Me Too Church. You're, you're greedy and you have a hard time with, with worshiping money, Me Too. You have a hard time controlling your eyes and, and, and your lust and your heart and your thoughts, man, there's a, there's a Me Too Church. In fact, this is what we often say, not only are we a Me Too Church, but we will often look at somebody and say this to them, there is nothing that they are today that somebody at this church wasn't yesterday. 
There's nothing that somebody in this room isn't today. Now listen, somebody else in this church wasn't yesterday. So we don't, we don't focus on what is. We always are talking about what could be. We're gaps. We're God-appointed people. That's why when you're not serving, but you need to come to church anyways. I think we've created a culture where serving is, is elevated over worship. They're the same. We serve and we worship, and we understand that we're going to be sitting in a seat possibly where somebody else that needs to hear me too is going to be, and you're going to be the God-appointed person in their life. That's how good God is. I mean, think about it. If you didn't have Barnabas, who in the, in the, in the New Testament was was an encouragement to the, to the early church. That's what he was, his nickname, son of encouragement. You'd have no Paul, the greatest missionary. If you had no Paul, you might not have the church you have today. Paul gets changed. He was a murderer. The church wanted to be fixated on what he fa- failed on. He comes to the church. He says, I want in now. And they said, no, 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 you're a murderer. And Barnabas steps up, the God-appointed person at that exact right time, and he says, no, nah, he was a murderer. He was a murderer. Let's not focus on what he was. Let's celebrate what he's going to be. And what was he going to be? He's going to be the greatest missionary this world ever knew. At, at a Jesus party, we're not fixated on who you are right now. We're focused on what you're going to be. We're, we're optimistic people. And lastly, number three, at a Jesus party, people have a place before they have a purpose. Think about it. every party you get invited to, your place is connected to your purpose at that party. So let me just, if you're not a believer, maybe you're, if you're a believer, you shouldn't be having a party like this. But if you're a believer and you're or a non-believer, and you're having a, a big banger, right? You're going to have a big party, big kegs, all this stuff. Who you invite? You're not invited the, the real mature people to come over. They're going to ruin your party. This is not responsible what you guys are doing right here. You're going to invite all the other partiers that come in and are like, whoa, right? This is amazing. Why? Because their purpose at that party is, their place at that party is connected to the purpose at the party. Let's be more mature and say, we're a believer, you're having a wedding. The place that people have at your wedding is connected to the purpose. This purpose, uh, they've, been, they've been an encouragement to me. They're my family. They have to come, you know. Like, they're my best friend that helped me through low times. It's the person that introduced me to my, to my spouse. So their place is connected to their purpose. But at church, is different. At church, everyone's place is connected to who they're created by. And every person, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, at the core of them, they need to embrace and understand the fact they were created by God on purpose for a purpose. That their place is connected to who they've been created by. So our job is to teach them, here's who you are. You're not a mistake. You're not accidentally here. You're not outside of the love of God. You're not unredeemable. We're a me too church. Nothing you are today that we weren't yesterday. You have a spot here. You're not an outsider coming in the midst of insiders. No, we were all outsiders, but God came to get us. And you have a place here long before you have anything to give. Long before you have any money to give, long before you have any talent, long before you've developed any understanding of who you are in Christ, when you come here and you're fully broken, you're all messed up, you have a place at the table of the banquet of God. And what ends up happening is as you, as you attach yourself to who created you, your purpose, it comes from understanding who created you. Your purpose comes in understanding why he created you. That's the best day of your life. But the first step is understanding you have a place at the banquet of God. You stand up with me all over this house. Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes at our Limerick campus, at our Plymouth Meeting campus? Man, I want to take a moment as your eyes are closed to maybe apologize to you for, for our church. Maybe you've been here before and we haven't done a good enough job of letting you know how much we want you here. Maybe you've been to a different church before and, and it was not conveyed to you how important you are to that church. 
Can I, can I take the opportunity to let you know how much God loves you? God loves you so much, the Bible says, that he would give up his only son for you in, in your place. The Bible says in John 3, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, that anyone, anyone that believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That anyone, anywhere, at any time, in any situation, with any amount of baggage. I read a quote that says, in God's hands, your baggage becomes his luggage. Your, your, your trash becomes his treasure. Your pain, it becomes his purpose. And you have a place at this church. And when I hope you would feel how much he loves you through the words that have been conveyed today and the songs that we have sang the bulletins that have been passed out and those that have parked your cars from the coffee that has been prepared to the kids worker that has watched and invested into your child the only message we want to hear is that we were prepared and we were invested into you because we simply want you to feel how much God loves you he knew the exact seat you were going to sit in today and he is throwing a party to welcome you home the Bible says when one child of God returns to to God through a relationship with his son Jesus Christ that heaven stops and celebrates not golf clap that heaven that you one of a billion maybe you feel like that right now that when you return home to God that heaven with God it stops to celebrate that's how much God loves you and the Bible says that if you would if you would ask Jesus into your life if you would Put your faith in what he did. And what he did is he died on a cross for your sins. Not only was he born, but 33 years he died. That's what we celebrate on Easter. He was put into a tomb. And on the third day, the Bible says he rose from the dead. You put your faith in his death, burial, and resurrection. The Bible says you will have new life. You will have new life. You will have new hope. You will have real joy. You will have real contentment. You will have real purpose. You will have real meaning. This is the best day of your life. You bring everything you are, and you embrace everything that you were supposed to be in Jesus Christ. So with nobody looking around in this place at all of our other campuses, you say, you know what, that's me. I'm going to ask you to put your hand up in a second, and when you put your hand up, I'm going to pray with you, and I just want you to repeat after me, and as you repeat after me, I want the church, I want everybody to pray with me. Maybe you've never prayed before, you don't even know what to say, it's really simple, we're just going to talk to God. We're just going to ask Jesus to be the Lord of our life. There's nothing religious in this place. He's here. I could step out of the way and say nothing else, and he would do what he's supposed to do. But in faith, we're going to pray together. So if you're in this house and you say, you know what, I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I need to, I need to make that step, that, that step of faith today at all of our campuses before we walk out of these doors. This is what I'm going to do in this Christmas season. This is what I was here for today. Without thinking about it, without worrying about it, without planning for it, without stressing about it, without worrying about who's beside you. In this moment, I, want to, I just want you to shoot your hand up in the air and say, you know what, today I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I can't live this life. I'm an, I feel like an outsider. I feel like I don't have a place. But today, my place is going to be with Jesus. My place is, my heart's going to be with Jesus. Is there anybody in this house who shoot their hand up in the air and say, Pastor, I'm going to pray with you as we, we close. If you're at our Limerick campus, at our Plymouth Meeting campus, just shoot your hand up in the air. Pastor Bob and Pastor Jordan are there. Maybe you're watching online, and I can't see your hand, but 
Would you begin to pray with me as we close? Pray this prayer of faith and invite Jesus into your life. Is there anybody here? One more moment. Jesus is going to be the Lord of my life right now. This is what Christmas is going to be all about. This is going to be the day that changes every other day. Day that changes every other day. Would you pray with me, church? I want you to do something different. Would you repeat after me as we pray together with those that have raised their hand all over this campus and with those that are going to pray this prayer all week as this message is shared over and over and over again. Everybody say, Jesus. Thank you so much for who you are. And thank you so much for what you did. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you were placed in that tomb. And I believe on the third day, you rose from the dead. And it's through you, Jesus, that I have forgiveness of my sins and that I have life and life abundant. Jesus, today, the old is gone and the new day has come. I'm a brand new person. In Jesus' name I pray. And everywhere we said amen, amen, amen. Would you clap with me all over this house or other campuses?